Welcome back to the Go in the Match podcast. After the great feedback we had on the end of season Premier League review episode, we thought it'd be great to do a review on Euro 2020. Now it's been finalised and concluded. With me today, I'm joined by Dan Club from World Football Index. Dan, thanks for giving me your time today, mate, and coming on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. No issue whatsoever. Um, in the sunshine on a Friday, couldn't have asked for much more. <laughs> So let's start by looking at what your pre-tournament thoughts were before that opening match. Um, who would you have said would have been that dark horse before the tournament had started? I'd love to say Italy, but I'd be lying. Yeah. Um, simply because I think when you look at Italy a little bit deeper, and it's only really when the tournament started, people started to take them seriously. Like you watched that first game against Turkey and you thought, God, these are a good side. And you hear about the record, I think, 30 games unbeaten before and you think, where have these come from? But <laughs> if I'm going to be brutally honest, I think like a lot of people, I can't fancy Turkey to go quite far. And like a lot of people, I was proven drastically wrong. Um, I think obviously as a Liverpool fan, we saw Quebec and we've seen Soyuncu at Leicester and we think, God, they're two decent centre-halves. And going forwards, they got some players as well. The kid at AC Milan, you know, the number 10. And you think, OK, maybe. I didn't think they'd win it, but I thought they were definitely dark horses and just dramatically wrong. Yeah, no, I, I thought the exact same. I had Turkey. I think everyone had Turkey, didn't they? You looked at yeah. uh, Yilmaz up front. You know, he's 35 yeah. and he'd been banging the goals in. And uh, for Lille, obviously, winning the league there. And you of course, yeah. With the centre-backs, it worked. I don't think Kabak actually started many games throughout the tournament, did he? And no. I, I was fully there with you on Turkey. I actually did think Czech Republic as well. I thought okay. they might have done maybe a little bit better. I know they got out of the group, but I thought yeah. they had Suchek who'd done well and uh, Sufal both for West Ham. Yeah, I was going to say there's a West Ham link there probably. And yeah. I think we've seen how well they've done in the Premier League. And we thought, you know what? Patrick Schick as well, we know a little bit about. And I thought, decent makings of a side there, but yeah. didn't quite materialise, did it? Yeah, so I think I think we can both agree on Turkey and probably most people listening will probably say Turkey. Yeah. Who would you have said that you were most looking forward to before the tournament started in terms of a country? I've got to say France, I'll be honest. Um, and again, one of the more obvious picks, I'd love to be a bit left field and sort of Notre Dame, but I'd be lying. I think France were... There's a look at their squad depth, and I just thought... I just couldn't look past them, generally. Um, I thought they had some really exciting players. Obviously, Mbappe, I couldn't wait to watch him. You know, see bits of him in the Champions League and a little bit of league on, but generally watching him week in, week out in the Euros, I couldn't wait. But obviously, as we'll discuss a little bit later, they kind of flattered to deceive. Um, other than that, I'm looking forward to the home nations, to be honest with you. Um, Scotland, Wales included, because I love watching Gareth Bale play. I love watching Aaron Ramsey back in the day, uh, not so much these days, but... Yeah, I'd say those. Um, and other than that, anyone who had a Liverpool player, I'd probably say Switzerland with Shaqiri. Um, just love watching him. Um, but yeah, probably I can't look past France. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree on France. I'd, I'd probably also throw Portugal into the mix there. I thought Portugal, you looked at their squad depth, similar to France. Yeah. And just, you know, the amount of talent they've got on display was just impeccable, really. And mm. yeah, I think France and Portugal probably have probably had the most flair players yeah. all the countries and that's probably what entices you to want to watch them really, isn't it? And mm -hmm. and, and I, I mean, it's, I suppose the million dollar question, who, who are you expecting to win? I had, I had France pretty much from the off, to be honest. And as I started watching the tournament a little bit more, my mind swayed completely because they just didn't really kick into gear at any point. No. They had about a 20 minute period against Switzerland whereby they started. <laughs> 
But prior to the tournament, I thought fans would genuinely blow most teams away. And I actually thought Germany would go a lot deeper. I thought Joachim Love's last tournament, you know, a bit of a legendary German manager. They've got Thomas Muller back. They've got Matt Hummels back. And I thought if anyone's going to push France and probably meet them in the final, it would be the Germans. Yeah. And again, just, I don't know whether the group are deaf and having to play those pretty high-intensity matches took it out of them completely. Because by the time they got to the round of 16, both of their nations that I really fancied were pretty much dead on their feet. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think France as well, it's hard to see past France when, you know, they've got so many options up front. If they want to go fast, they go Mbappe. If they want that poacher, mm. and Benzema. If they want to go long, they can go Giroud. You know, the squad depth yeah. was immaculate. So I think for most people, it was hard to see past them. I think people were looking at England, but maybe a little bit optimistically. Um, but yeah, I- we get that, don't we? With France, I just want to say, like, America Laporte had mm. to change countries to go and play international football. That just shows you how strong and the strength and depth France have got. We look at Canate now. He's nowhere near that French senior side, and we're all raving about him from a club perspective. So their squad just shows you how much strength they've got, but just didn't work. Yeah, no, that's a perfect, perfect point. And and who are you expecting to be top goal scorer? I have to say Harry Kane, mm-hmm. um, because he just has a knack of scoring goals. He's a he's a top quality footballer. Let's not beat around the bush, but. When it comes to major tournaments, we've seen it in the World Cup. He wasn't exactly the standout player at any point. I think he gets a hat-trick against Panama. He takes the penalties. You look at England's group, you think they didn't end up doing it, but they could put some goals past some of them teams. Maybe not Croatia. That was always going to be tough. Fancied him to get goals all the way through the tournament. And as they came to Ukraine, you thought, aye, aye, Harry Kane again. Denmark, even the same. So, yeah, Harry Kane was my bet from the outset but you couldn't look past your big names. And I must admit, going back to that same nation, France, Kylian Mbappe really, really did fancy him. Uh, because I fancied France to go all the way, obviously both things didn't even come close. Yeah, I think I think when you're starting to look at putting your money on a top goal scorer, you probably as well have to factor in what country is going to go the furthest in the competition. If you yeah. think France, you think Mbappe. I kind of, I did think Lukaku would, I knew he scored, he scored four mm. goals throughout the tournament. But I thought, again, it depends how far Belgium go. You know, he might score a lot of yeah. group within the group, but if they don't progress any further, he's not got the opportunity to score the goal. So, yeah, I don't think there's too much uh, disagreement with him then. So, if we, if we go through the groups, we'll obviously start with A and we'll work our way through. So, Group yeah. A, it was finished with Italy at the top winning all three of their matches. Wales finished in second, Switzerland finishing in third, and Turkey, obviously, as we discussed, in a disappointing fourth position. I think Turkey were only one of two teams that lost all their games in the group, them and North Macedonia. So I think obviously yeah. most people expected North Macedonia to lose their games. Yeah. So I suppose let's start with Turkey and just say, you know, how shocked were you that they've lost all their games in that group, given that some of the good players that they do have? Yeah, given given the players, and I think moreover, given the hype that was kind of around them before the tournament, because you couldn't really listen to any podcast, look at any sort of report without people kind of talking up Turkey and saying, watch out for this Turkish side. Because, you know, you're looking at it from a Welsh perspective and thinking, can Wales grab the group? And then you look at Turkey and go, probably not. But as it transpired, it was pretty comfortable. Like that Wales-Turkey game, I watched that game. It was a really decent game of footy. But Wales were a better team pretty much throughout. Turkey really disappointed. I don't know whether it was a case of 
us and like everybody, the general public, over-egging what Turkey had and maybe thinking a little bit, and maybe looking for a dark horse because we all love a dark horse, we all love an underdog. And maybe we got a little bit carried away or they have got the players and we were right and maybe something else was wrong in terms of the management or whatever it may be. You know, I haven't looked too deep into Turkey, you can imagine, but there's definitely a nucleus of very good players there. It's just not happened at all. And you obviously touched on Wales there as well. I think Wales, obviously, they surprised me, to be fair. I, I didn't mm-hmm. expect too much from nothing because obviously they're so heavily reliant on Bale. And obviously the yeah. season that you had at Spurs was so stop-start. You don't really mm-hmm. know what you're going to get. You always know that you're going to get maybe with a home nation, it's going to be, you know, passion and backs to the walls. But I think I think they did pretty well in that group. Definitely. To get out that group, I think, was a really, really decent achievement yet again. Um, they've got this knack, haven't they, Wales at European Championships now? I mean, look what they did in 2016. Um, and they've got, if you look at their squad, man for man, they should be nowhere near qualifying because other than Bale and Ramsey and a couple of others, like Danny Ward, the goalkeeper, you know, doesn't play for Leicester. They've got midfielders, Joe Allen. We know a lot about Joe Allen. Decent player in his day, not so much these days. And the rest of them, the championship footballs at best, yeah. And a couple of them can't even get the championship sides, and a couple of them are playing League One. And yeah. there's a centre midfield, that Joe Morel, I think he plays for Luton. Like he's qualifying out of the group stage in the Euros. There's a serious togetherness whenever Wales come together. And it's led by the likes of Bale and fair play to him. Like, you know, the level of football that he's at. If you look at Ryan Giggs for Wales back in the day, he didn't really bother to enough at Wales, let's be honest. Mm. But Bale turns up for Wales and he turns up impressively most of the time. Yeah. And I suppose touching on Switzerland there, they finished third in the group and obviously both, both of us being red, it kind of, uh, it's always good to see Shakiri scoring a few goals. I think we've, obviously as Liverpool fans, we, you know, we've always got a bit of a soft spot for him, but yeah. also helps, you know, add a couple of mil onto that potential sell-on <laughs> price tag. Um, Switzerland, yeah, here or there, obviously they got out of the group in third, but maybe you'd expect a little bit more from the rest of the squad maybe than just Shakiri. Possibly, yeah. Again, kind of on them sides whereby you don't realise how decent they look until you watch them. Like before the tournament, they wouldn't even have crossed my mind. They probably thought, oh yeah, Shakiri plays for them. But then when you look at them, you know, Granite Xhaka, Jan Sommer, the keeper's decent. That and Bolo up top, very good. So they've got a better side than you kind of realised. Um, I think, obviously, they get through the France game a bit later on. I think they probably have performed as well as they could. Yeah. Um, potentially carried a little bit by... The likes of um, Seferovic had a good tournament as well, didn't he? And Shakiri, obviously, but you're dead right. Put a couple of million on his price tag there. <laughs> and then obviously Italy top in the group. Obviously, we'll go on to talk about them later on. Obviously, winning it, but <clears throat> yeah, they just I, I think Immobile scored a few goals within that group. He didn't do too much, but he scored a few goals. And I think Berardi started more of those games, and Chiesa started later in the tournament, yeah. in the games, and they kind of just whitewashed that group as expected, I suppose. I think as expected in hindsight, yeah. I think, to be honest with you, I I must admit, I didn't really expect them to cruise that group so easily. I think with them not qualifying for the World Cup previously, my expectations had kind of been shattered with Italy a little bit. But yet they've managed to get this run together and squad together of, you know, very good players. But there's no real superstar in there. They might well be moving forwards. But good young players, very impressive midfield, which I'm going to talk about a little bit later. Yeah. But yeah, really impressed with Italy and fair dues to Mancini. He's done a serious job there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on to Group B, uh, first place Belgium. 
Uh, second place, Denmark. Third place, Finland. And fourth place, Russia. I just want, I just want to talk about Russia because in, in the World Cup 2018, obviously it was held in Russia. Yeah. It looked really good. I think they had Golov in the midfield. He was a bit of a superstar yeah. for them. Dijuber up front is always a bit of a handful. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously they finished bottom of that group only winning one match and losing two. And I think, again, very disappointing from them. Yeah, I'd probably have to agree. When you look at the World Cup they had, in hindsight, again, it probably shows you just how much that was, the fact they were at home. Yeah. And they really had to one-up the game, two, the crowds on their side. And I think, you know, looking back now, that was a hell of a lot of reason why they performed as well as they did. Because I looked at their opening game against Belgium when the teams came out. I looked at Russia's side and Yuri Zhirkov was at left-back. Mm. I thought, well, these are in trouble because <laughs> I think I checked his age and top of my head, 37 or 38. And I think he came off after 20 minutes injured. And I thought, that is a seriously aging side now. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that's why it probably materialised the way it did. Yeah. And then third place, you've got Finland. And to be honest, I've got, I've got to admit, I, haven't, I didn't watch any of Finland's games. It's one of those where you don't really know many of the players unless they win on the opening week you're not really that interested are you but I suppose for their sort of perspective finishing third in that group ahead of Russia is pretty big for them yeah probably about as much as they could have hoped for I'd say um Timu Puki was probably the interesting factor wasn't he for Finland um outside of that I didn't really pay a massive amount of attention I'm pretty sure that Finland Russia game was probably the least watched game of the whole tournament to be honest so <laughs> yeah definitely and then, obviously, second place, Denmark, which, obviously, we'll go on to speak about later on a bit more mm-hmm. in depth about them. But just something I want to uh, touch on within that group, obviously, the first game that they played where Finland did win, obviously, you know, obviously we all know what happened with Christian Eriksen on the pitch. Yeah. Just want to get your thoughts on, not necessarily the event, but mm. how the media sort of um, handled it at the time and, you know, and how the, and the, the players handled it too. Um. Yeah, I was, I was kind of waiting to see how you're going to point the question because I think the media handled it excellently after. Mm. I don't think they handled it particularly well at the time. Yeah. Certainly the coverage. I think the coverage was misguided at best, if I'm honest. Yeah. I think they showed far too much of the event. I think we could all probably agree on that. Yeah. Um, and they just should have gone back to the studio or certainly gone away from what they were looking at. You know, played a different programme, whatever you have to do. You know what I mean? Um, just get away from what we were looking at because that's not nice for anyone to see. I think in the aftermath, I think the media dealt with it really well, including the people in the studio and the people involved on the day. Um, and, fair, and fair play to everyone for that. Um, and in terms of the players, I think the Denmark players are outstanding. Um, I think the captain in particular... Kasper Schmeichel, when Christian Eriksen's um, partner came down, and I think it was outstanding from them. And credit to them for how they handled it. Credit to them for even walking back out and playing that game later on. And I'm not surprised they lost. Not surprised they lost one bit, because I think any nation would have lost that game, having seen that. So, yeah, credit to the players and credit to the media in the aftermath. No, I completely agree. And then obviously top... Uh, was Belgium, which looking at that group, you'd expect that. Three wins, a mm. um, lot of goals from Lukaku. Um, uh, yeah, a, a bit of a foregone conclusion with that one with Belgium. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you look at the fact they were number one in the world coming into it. Um, 
could go down, obviously, when we talk about deeper into the tournament, we'll probably touch on them again. But they could go down as a little bit of a letdown generally as a nation Belgium because I think for a few tournaments now, we've all kind of talked them up as this is the chance, this is potentially their only chance with this group of players. And it hasn't happened again. Cruise through the group. But when you look at that group, you'd probably expect them to. Certainly when Denmark lose to Finland. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I was watching the group games, you look at that, the three centre-halves they had in Vermaal, yeah. and, um, and Aldo Wirald. And I think they yeah. got an age about 103. And you, you're looking at that thinking, all right, OK, well, maybe this is this is OK with the groups and who you've yeah. got to play there. As soon as you get later on in the tournament, you're coming against France and back, mm. you know, some nippy wingers, you know, they're going to cause problems. So, no, Definitely, I, yeah. I agree with that. Um, group C, uh, first place, we've got Holland, second, Austria, third, Ukraine, and fourth, poor, poor little North Macedonia, which obviously we touched on earlier that they're one of the two teams that lost all their games. And what, what can you say? I think that they did score two goals in. Uh, separate games so I suppose that's a little bit of a positive for them yeah and I suppose the biggest positive is the fact they were there Um, I'm not entirely sure on my history on these again but I'm pretty sure they've not been going as a nation that long you know what I mean because all the breakaways they have in that part of Europe you know Um, and I think Goran Pandev was probably the biggest positive I think he retired didn't he after the last game Um, some career he's had I think he might still be playing club football but internationally he's retired um, yeah, some career and fair dues from even being there. Yeah, and scoring goals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, third place, you've got Ukraine, um, which I mean, on the face of it, considering they've actually finished third in the group and they got <laughs> to the last stage of the competition, they've done quite well there. But mm. yeah, within the group, they've won, they won one game. So again, I didn't really watch too many of the Ukraine games from what I did see. Um, you know, they more, they were more of a they're more of a team unit than they were of individuals. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did, and they were um, very solid, very hard to beat until later on in the tournament, whereby I think just quality just got the better of them. Um, what I would say on them is a couple of individual moments um, really got them through some games, and Yarmolenko in particular, and that Uremchuk up top, um, two decent, you know, hard-working, powerful forwards they've got there, um, probably. From Yarmolenko's point of view, the wrong side of 30 for any sort of like golden generation for Ukraine. But like I say, got through and, and credit to them. Yeah, he scored a fantastic goal in that group as well, pinging on. Yeah. I won't be forgetting that one anytime soon. And second place with Austria, um, winning two games and lo- losing the one to Holland. So mm. again, every time I think of Austria, I always think of Alaba and I never because I got the I got Austria in the sweepstake and I just automatically thought. I don't really know Alaba. And then when you yeah. have to look at the squad, you think there is only Alaba. I think there was only mm. Alaba and Arnautovic, and that's all they had. So I suppose in the face of that, they've done quite well to get second. Yeah, definitely. Alaba's certainly the shining light, isn't he? Um, Arnautovic is, he is what he is. He, he, he manages to score goals, I suppose, and he's got decent quality, but he's controversial. Mm. So and so, isn't he? Um, but yeah, David Alaba. David Alaba, I just want to say on him. And Austria, decent side altogether. That young midfielder, I quite like his name, completely escapes me right now. Um, but David Alaba, he plays every position for Austria, doesn't he? He sets the attack going from centre half, and all of a sudden he's on the left wing picking up his own pass, it seems. He is, you know, a remarkable footballer, but he certainly stands out in that side. Yeah, he, he is the uh, Austrian James Milner, I think, there, isn't he? Yeah. And then obviously topping the group, Holland winning all three games. And I suppose 
again, a bit like Belgium winning their respective group. You expect mm. Holland to win that game uh, within the group as well. And Gini Wijnaldum turning uh, from midfielder into prone striker. Um, well, I think some I, I quite enjoyed watching a lot of Holland throughout the uh, tournament, to be honest. So it's quite impressive to Young. Yeah. Um, I thought Depay looked quite good as well. I think Barcelona have probably got a bit of a sniff getting Depay on, on a three there. Um, and then you look at Dumfries at right back. Mm. He looked he looked a great prospect. And the same with uh, PSV's Marlon on the wing. I know he's being touted around for, uh, for being Jaden Sancho's replacement at Dortmund. But yeah. they've got some good players there. And I think they'll only get better. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think they're a really impressive young squad. Um, obviously, the big miss from their point of view was Virgil van Dijk. Yeah. I think you put him into that side, they potentially go deeper into the comp- uh, competition. Um, that's all speculative and, you know, it's but and maybes, but high-quality centre-half like that. I know Delis had a bit of a brain fade, which probably kicked him out of the entire tournament with that handball. Yeah. Um, probably probably saw them off, to be honest with you. But, yeah, genuinely really impressed, particularly with Dumfries. I must, must admit, he was outstanding, a fourth down the right. Um, also, They've parted company with uh, De Boer since. Um, and I think had that have happened before the tournament, they might have had a better chance. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem very clued up, does he? He's not done very well. No. Anywhere he's been, has he? No, particularly checkered record he's got. Palace, four games, was it? And into Miami earlier. It's not gone very well. I'm obviously, Group D, we've got uh, first place England, second place Croatia. Third place Czech Republic and fourth place Scotland. Uh, obviously, you mentioned at the start that Scotland would be one of those teams that you look out for. And I think, obviously, a lot of Liverpool fans don't have as much of a connection with England as maybe other teams do across across the UK and England. And so maybe a lot of Liverpool fans were rooting for Scotland and Andy mm-hmm. Robertson in particular. But yeah, I think fourth place, I think they will be a little, maybe a little bit disappointed that they've not done a little bit better. Um, I just feel like they didn't really come out of the shell enough. I don't know how I don't know how you felt about Scotland. Yeah, that's probably fair. What I would say in their defence is that that, although it wasn't the group of death build, that's a seriously difficult group. Yeah. Like we spoke about, you know, the strength and death England they've got. You mentioned Czech Republic being potentially dark horses and we all know Croatia World Cup finalists just a few years ago. So... Getting out of that group always looked a tough ask. Um, they'll be disappointed, definitely, not to have won a game. Um, I think they probably potentially deserve to nick the England game, if I'm going to be brutally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't embarrass themselves. They didn't get you know, hammered by anyone in particular. Are they lacking a little bit of quality up front? Probably. I think their issues came in the final thirds of both attacking and defending. I think they made mistakes at the back that cost them. Obviously, there was that free goal from Patrick Schick that I'm definitely going to talk about later on. Um, and I think up front, even though Trey Adams and Lyndon Dykes are decent players, they're not ruthless enough to get you through a group. Yeah, I think that, that was quite telling, especially in the England game, because I think they were yeah. much the better. I think they were the much the better team across the 90 mm. minutes. And if they'd have had a, a Harry Kane per se, I think that they probably win that game. Yeah. Um, so no, I would I would definitely agree with that. Third place, the Czech Republic. And like I said, they were one of my dark horses that I'd say. And, you know, they, they, they're they a bit of a funny team because they sort of play well when you don't expect them to. And, you know, then it flip it on its head and then they don't do so well. So, you know, they've got a lot of good players there that I think will probably, as we'll touch on later on, might get a good move. Um, mm. what, was, what was your sort of overriding thoughts in Czech Republic? 
Yeah, kind of a reflection of what the two boys at West Ham are, if I'm honest. They're hardworking, they're professional, and they pretty much never say die. And that's kind of what I expected and what we got from the Nationals team. As much as they might be lacking in that little bit of quality, even though they've got some very good players, they're difficult to beat. And they always will be difficult to beat. I don't think you rarely see them, you know, get done, get turned over. Um, and that's what we've seen from the group. And, and fair play to them for that. Yeah. And then second place, Croatia, which obviously, as you touched on before, that obviously they got to the World Cup final the other year. And mm. I've got to say, I, I was I was quite slightly disappointed of Croatia, especially in that first match against England. I didn't think they, you know, watching them, I didn't think they were up too much. No. No, I agree. I don't think they laid a glove on England. I expected a hell of a lot more. Um, there is potentially an element of that side ageing a little bit as well. Yeah. I know Modric is still quality and Perisic is also still very good. But that World Cup was probably their peak. Yeah. Some of them. I know we had Mandzukic then as well. But I, feel, I felt like they peaked then and this was almost a tournament too far. I know Modric turned it on and got them out of the group, really, with performance and goal against Scotland. Yeah. But overall, it was probably a bridge too far for some of them. Yeah, no, I'd agree I'd agree again with that. And obviously, top in the group was England, uh, winning the two games and drawing against yeah. Scotland. And yeah, I think, again, I'm not invested in England in the absolute slightest. But I think if I was, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be getting off my seat. You know, they wouldn't excite me. Does, is that what England fans want or do they want to be able to sit back, win, knowing they win the game and then progress out the group? I'm not too sure, but, you know, they got through the group, they topped the group. What more can you say? Yeah, true. I can look at England quite objectively as well because I'm not, you know, a fan. I just enjoyed the football, quite frankly. Not their football, but the <laughs> football. Um, and I didn't really enjoy theirs because I felt like it was quite efficient and pragmatic a hell of a lot of time, you know, two defensive midfielders looking not to get beat before potentially looking to go and win the game. Certainly against Scotland, I think that was pretty evident. Um, and what's most frustrating about that, if I was like a fan of it, is because you look at the talent yeah. and the wealth of it they've got, even sat on the bench, you know, you look at Jaden Sancho, he, he barely got a kick, yeah. you know, and he's just seriously, and it makes you wonder, Obviously, this is a bit far-fetched, but it makes you wonder if Southgate is watching the Bundesliga and is watching Jadon Sancho, because that kid has been doing it, and I know he's signed for rivals now, for two, three years in the Bundesliga. You know, serious goals, serious assists, and even, you know, people who are starting, Sterling, Foden, Grealish get to look in. You want them to be let off the leash a little bit, and I don't think they are. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree anymore. I think when you see players like Grealish, Sancho on the bench, even Bellingham as well. yeah. They're exciting players and you feel within the group that you, you can maybe freshen up a little bit more and then maybe you stick to your known 11 mm. as you progress throughout the group. But they've got some talent at their disposal. And yeah, I was quite shocked not to see them maybe display it and, and yeah. use the subs a little bit more. Um, going into Group E, we had uh, first place Sweden, second place Spain, third place Slovenia, uh, Slovakia and fourth place Poland. Now, fourth place Poland, I think you've got to look at that and think they've lost two games and they drew one. Mm -hmm. I think Lewandowski would be pretty disappointed with that. 100%. Yeah, 100%. And they are a decent side. You know, obviously the name that jumps out to you is Lewandowski and you think anyone who's got Lewandowski in the side has got a chance. But they're a bit better than that. 
And I think to 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 lose lose draw lose one draw two was it or the other way around? That's yeah. really poor. Yeah, that, that's really quite disappointing from their point of view. Um, not to finish third and potentially have a sniff of qualifying. I think he will be, and he's never going to go and win a major honour. He probably knows that, but he's got to qualify out of that group. I'd say. Yeah, I think he only he only scored the one goal within that group as well. So mm. I think he's pretty disappointed with that because you know you've got third place Slovakia there. They win the one game, they lose the two games. Um, again, they're very similar to Czech Republic, the hard-working team. Um, I think they, they probably finished where they'd expect to there in third place. Definitely, yeah. I think that um, Slovakia-Spain game was along with all the jeopardy on, wasn't it? And I think yeah. Dubravka threw the ball in early on. I don't think that helped the cause much. Um, but yeah, you know... Pretty impressive side, really. Wales have played them quite a bit down the years in the Euros and stuff, and I've watched a few of them games, and a little bit better than we think. Um, is it Hamsik in midfield? Yeah. Uh, Marek Hamsik, good player, good player. So, third, decent battle between them and Poland. They'd be probably pleased to have won it. Mm. And then, obviously, second place, Spain, you've got there. That don't think many people were expecting much, but I think when you look at that group, you'd definitely expect them to finish above, above Sweden. Um I think Spain were one of these teams that they seemed to progress as the tournament went on. They yeah. started very sluggish, and then as the tournament went on, they definitely progressed. 100%. They were a funny old nation in this. Um, in, in as much as those group games, I mean, the fact they didn't top the group in itself is bizarre, because they should have. But in those group games, they pretty much dominated like 80% of possession the whole time, <laughs> as you'd expect Spain to do. And they were playing often without a striker, and back in the day when they used to do that, it was fine because they had all these world-class attacking midfielders. They haven't got that anymore. And it showed. So when it got to the final third, Murata missed too many chances when he did play. But you need to have a focal point striker in the side like that. And and as much as they dominated the ball, and we barely seen Thiago as well, I must add. Yeah. Um, but that Pedri kid was outstanding. Um, and they, like you say, they got better as it went on. So what can you say? Sweden finishing top, and I think they'll be absolutely delighted with that. Yeah. Obviously, winning the two games, drawing one. Um, you look at that, I think Forsberg was maybe their shining star. I think he finished the tournament with four goals. Um, he, he looks maybe like he's on the wrong side of 30 now to be getting mm. a big move. But I think Sweden, Sweden looked really good, and they surprised me quite a lot. Yeah, and me, um, 100%. Uh, didn't one of the nations I didn't really bat an eyelid at if I'm honest before it started and um, Forsberg included I knew him you know from playing in the Champions League a couple of times but didn't have them sort of aspirations or thoughts about him but fair dues to them and him I thought they were outstanding um, and then uh, yeah really impressive I think they, they had the uh, striker is it Isaac is yeah he was, was probably the one that really stood out actually wasn't he yeah he was outstanding he played superbly as well Um Group F, obviously, is known as the group of death within this tournament. First place got France, second place Germany, third place Portugal, and fourth place Hungary. I've got to say with Hungary, I, fe I felt so sorry with Hungary because every game i seen them play, they put on such a great performance, especially the France game I thought when they got the draw. Um, they yeah. finished bottom there with two draws and one loss. So you've got to feel a bit sorry for them there. That, that's outstanding from them. I've got to say, and I really enjoyed watching them, especially at home, because they were one of the few countries, if not the only ones, to have 100% capacity. And I thought that made a hell of a difference. Yeah, um, and for them not to be one of the two nations to have lost every game is an achievement in itself in that group. Because 
you know, on paper, if you'd have asked me, listen, who's going to lose every game? I'd have hungry down 10 times out of 10. Especially if they were missing their best player. I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name. Um, he yeah. was at Salzburg. He's now at Leipzig midfielder um, quality. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was injured. He got ruled out before the tournament. Brilliant, brilliant footballer. Um, and he's literally their best player. Glaski in goal. A lot of credit to him. Um, kept him in some of them games. But yeah, for them not to lose every game is achievement in itself. And then obviously third place, you've got Portugal. Uh, they drew one, lost one and won one. Um, again, I think with this group, you can't really have too many expectations of who's going to finish where because Portugal, Germany and France, you know, it's a lottery. Um, obviously in the group, uh, they had some good games. They had some bad games. I think they played they played pretty poorly against uh, Germany. Mm. They played quite well against France. So it was a bit of a mixed bag, really. It was. They got badly exposed in that Germany game, I thought. I thought down the wings in particular. Um, and I always had concerns about Portugal defensively. I think going forward, you touched upon the flair. Um, they always had that in abundance with Bernardo Silva, Jota, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously. Um, but it was defensively, I had my concerns. And then Pepe had a decent tournament, but he is certainly the wrong side of 30. <laughs> so, And it kind of got exposed in that Germany game. And I think that pretty much proved that they weren't going to go on and win it. And then second place, Germany, obviously you said at the start, expect them to go to quite far. Mm. Um, again, that's another bit of a mixed bag of a team. You've kind of got the young players coming through like Havertz and Werner and, you know, Goretzka and players like that. And then you've still kind of got the old guards. You've got Muller there, um, Hummels, Neuer and Net, obviously. And, you know, they're finishing second. I think they'd be quite happy finishing second within that group. Uh, they won one, they lost one and drew one. Mm. Uh, the same as Portugal. But, yeah, I think that maybe they'd expect to finish second in that group. Yeah, I'd have said so. And um, certainly behind fans going into it. Um, all I would say on Germany is potentially a bit of a transition in terms of the manager leaving. Um, Tony Kroos, I think, has already retired. Yeah. And maybe the likes of Hummels and Muller and even Neuer could look to do the same thing before the World Cup. I know it's only 16 months away or whatever, but they probably need to do a big shift now and go down a different path. And then obviously uh, our expected winners in France, they topped the group, but they actually just looking at it now, they won. They only won the one game and they drew two. So it's uh, to only win one game of football in that group and finish tops quite uh, miraculous. But yeah, they didn't really set the world alight as maybe they'd expected within that group, but they topped it and maybe, maybe they didn't build the confidence up in that group going through to the last stages. Yeah, that's certainly how it looks now. I must admit, when they didn't, you know, blow the group away, I just thought, oh, that's okay. They've qualified the top. They'll sort of build into the tournament like the likes of Spain did. But obviously, as we know, it never really materialised. And for me, there was factors outside of football um, that might have caused that. I know there's quite a lot of infighting, as yeah. ever, with the French national side. And <laughs> maybe that reflected on the pitch. Yeah, it does seem to be that, doesn't it? I wouldn't have thought of that before you just brought it up there, but... There always seems to be a few tantrums, doesn't there, with the France squad? Every time. I think in the World Cup, wasn't there the images on the training field? There'd just been a fight and they were all gathered yeah. round. And it was, a, and then this time you've got people's mums arguing with each other. And it, so it seems to be all the time in France. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think they had the, they had the Anelka one tournaments and tournaments ago where he went home and yeah, yeah. throwing the toys out of the pram. So obviously going into the last 16 once the groups have finished, uh, we'll just start, we'll just reel them off. So, firstly, we had Belgium up against Portugal, uh, with Belgium going through. 
So what did you kind of think? Were you quite surprised that Belgium went through or not really? Not really, to be honest with you. Um, I must admit, I thought they were the more well-rounded and clinical side. Um, certainly with Lukaku on form like he was. Um, I know De Bruyne had to come on and kind of change matters, but I always fancy Belgium. Mm. I think uh, the young lad Doku really stood out for me. Uh, he looked. He looks yeah. a good player, and obviously both being reds, he's definitely some someone that. Yeah, I've, I've got him down as like a potential move later. I thought he'd have to stand in that night. He he really does look a hot prospect. But you say on De Bruyne, I think when De Bruyne is not really hitting the heights, you maybe see it in that team. And I know you know in hindsight he's he's actually come out hasn't he and said that he played the tournament with an injury. But yeah, uh, I think yeah, there's a lot of expectation on Belgium. Obviously Belgium knocking Portugal out. You know Ronaldo will be obviously disappointed with that, but. Yeah, I think Portugal were a bit bit poor in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, the other leg we had was Italy v Austria. Again, Italy kind of. I think that one went to extra time, right? And say yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah, so, Chiesa scored later on. Yeah, so on the face of it, I think Austria would be quite happy with that. But again, you you touched on Italy's ruthlessness. Yeah, well, what what it was in that more than anything, and it, it shone through in the Spain game in the next round with Italy, is they didn't dictate the game like they had been doing in the groups. They kind of overwhelmed the group, if you like, with how good they were. But against Austria, they didn't have it all their own way. And the same in the Spain match, but they found a way. And that's when I started to really think these might be the real deal. Because mm. they're not necessarily having all their own way, but they're finding a way of getting over the line. Like Liverpool did who won the league. Yeah. They were great all the time. But we score later on and break people's hearts. And Italy were doing that. And that's when you start to think these are the real deal. Yeah. And I think in that game, it really shone with uh, Spinozola as well at fullback. He looked, uh, yeah. he was really coming, you know, through issuing um, throughout that game. And he, he looked a, a real, real prospect for them. Um, the next out of that draw, we've got France, Switzerland, um, which was maybe one of the games of the tournament. Um, I think France were 3 1 up with maybe five, yeah. five, 10 minutes to go with that game. Yeah. coming back and drawing 3-3 and you know that was probably my match of the tournament yeah same um, 100% the same um, I was pretty much signing off for the night at 3-1 <laughs> thinking that's that you know early night because that's what it was like wasn't it you know obviously watching it you know penalties are take and near 11 o'clock wouldn't they and you think oh no this isn't going to penalties I can get a nice early one here. and then all of a sudden Fair dues to Switzerland, and Granit Xhaka in particular was outstanding. He was. And I don't know whether France just switched off, like everyone else watching did and thought, that's that 3-1, game done. And Switzerland, you know, credit to them, like I say, back to the wall, weren't having it, weren't going out with a whimper, and <laughs> and went at them and got it. Yeah, I think uh, I listened to a report that Mourinho did with uh, TalkSport, yeah, he says about you know when Pogba scores the third one to put France three one up, he does a little dance, doesn't he? And yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. yeah, the arrogance that was shown there lost them that match. And I've got to say, I, I was rooting for Switzerland and the penalties as much as I <laughs> like France. You know, you just want to see the underdog win, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, of course. And and you're dead right to pick up Mourinho and Pogba on that because in his defence, if that game ends three one, that's a brilliant goal and the dance looks boss. But as it turns out. It's a brilliant goal, but the dance looks a little bit naive. Yeah, 100%. And I think you've got to look at France's squad and say, you know, Didier Deschamps obviously done wonders with France. Does he keep hold of his job there? Because the players at his disposal, for them to go out in the last 16s, it's shocking, really. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's criminal. When 
when they're everyone's nailed on favours, everyone you speak to, every pundit, there's something gone wrong if they don't even get past Switzerland in the knockouts. Like everyone could, they could lose to Germany, England, Italy, Spain in the semis or the final. But Switzerland at 3 1 up in the knockouts, you've got to get past that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we've also had Croatia, Spain. Uh, Spain eventually going through in that game. Uh, I think Croatia, they started poorly in that game, but then they did grow towards the end of it. Um, but that, that was maybe one of the tightest games that we've probably seen in the tournament. Yeah, it turned out to be a little bit of a thriller again out of nowhere, didn't it? Spain kind of, well, it looked home and drive at one stage, to be honest with you, but fair dues to Croatia for getting back. Um, good game. Um, and I think the right team probably just ended up on the right side of it. Yeah. Um, again, I thought Pedri was outstanding. Um, and yeah, again, they, they showed a lack of, probably a lack of tournament now, because I'd say Spain, which is not something you'd normally expect with them. You'd expect them to cruise through in the position they were. Um, but Croatia, again, how many times have we said it and how many times did we see it? Teams just never say die. You know, <laughs> not willing to go out with a whimper and coming back into matches. Yeah, it's probably the story of the tournament of the teams being like that. It's great to see. Mm. Um, maybe one of the more boring sort of fixtures um, within that last 16 was Sweden-Ukraine. Um, but maybe one of the shock ones as well, Ukraine knocking Sweden out. Um Fair play to Ukraine. I think it's the furthest they've got ever in the, in, in the tour and any tournament. So, yeah, yeah, can't really begrudge them that. I think for the tournament's sake, it would have been better had Sweden got through because I think they were the better side, generally yeah. speaking. I think they overinvest in the group, and I think the likes of Forsberg would have potentially worried England a little bit more in the next round because that was a foregone conclusion, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> And then obviously touched on England now, England-Germany, um, which on the face of it, I was actually very surprised that how not dominant England were, hmm. but, you know, it was a bit, of, a bit of an easy ride, I thought. I didn't think Germany really laid a glove on them. I didn't think they looked much of a threat. I know Muller had that great chance, but apart from that, they didn't really create that much, and I think England deserved to win. Yeah, I'd agree. I think even that chance was born out of a, a Raheem Sterling through ball yeah. in the wrong direction, wasn't it? So, you know, their actual creativity probably did lack. And I was really disappointed in Leroy Sané, not just them, but generally throughout the tournament. Yeah. And I think he really disappointed. He's, we went with him from the Premier League days, obviously with City. I thought he was outstanding at times, the sort of player I'd love to have with Liverpool. But his end product just seemed all over the place. And even the likes of Serge Gnabry. And I think Havertz actually covered himself in a little bit of glory. Um, and I know Timo Werner has got this reputation for missing big chances. And unfortunately, yeah. he lived up to that in the first 20 minutes when Pickford made a decent save and potentially changes the game. But you're dead right. England were a better side and, and England deserved to go through. And then we had uh, Holland, Czech Republic with another maybe another shock and Czech Republic yeah. knocking them out. Um, Gini Van Alden couldn't pop up with a hat trick that match, could he? So uh, a shock, a shock result, and yeah, fair, fair play to Czech Republic there. Yeah, they were, like I say earlier on, they were handed a massive advantage. I think it was a really good and even game until Billet went. Yeah. Um, but fair dues to Czech Republic for season on that and making the most of their um, added man because often teams don't. Um, but yeah. Disappointed to see Holland go um, for lots of reasons. I thought they'd been good throughout the tournament. I like watching Marlon. I like watching Dumfries. Um, and why Adam's role for Holland has just baffled me. 
forever. <laughs> like he is the opposite of what he is for Holland for well, was the opposite of what he is for Holland for Liverpool. Um and he just had this reluctance for Liverpool to even shoot when he got near goal, let alone get forward. Um but yeah, Czech Republic, yeah, they capitalised on the ten men and fair play. Yeah. And then obviously the last uh, fixture in that in that stage was Wales Denmark. Um Denmark absolutely thumping Wales to be quite honest. Yeah. Um one of them because I, I quite like Wales, but then I was obviously very pleased for Denmark because they were really, they showed a real togetherness, and that's probably the first game within the tournament that they really looked like they could sort of showcase the real talent that they had do had. I think um, Damsgaard looked really good for them in that match, um, and yeah, Denmark win and go through. Yeah, Damsgaard's outstanding, um, and he kind of filled Christian Eriksen's boots. In as much as both playing that number 10 role, Damsgaard probably wouldn't have got as much of a look in had Everton not have unfortunately left the tournament. Um, and credit to the Danish and the manager in particular, because Wales were the better team for 20 minutes in that game. Gareth Bale and Ramsey were kind of running the show and picking up these pockets in behind. And the manager just put Andreas Christensen pretty much on Bale's toes. And Bale never got another kick for 70 minutes. And Denmark just took over. Um yeah. So credit to him and them for that. And some of the finishes in that game were outstanding. But like you say, Damsgaard in particular was the star of the show. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, you're looking into the quarters then. Uh, we had Switzerland, Spain. Uh, we had Belgium, Italy. Czech Republic be Denmark. And we also had Ukraine, England. So we'll start, we'll start off with the England, Ukraine. And that was obviously a foregone conclusion. That's probably the first game in the tournament England actually looked exciting. Now, whether that's because Ukraine made them look it, I actually thought Ukraine looked absolutely exhausted from minute 10 onwards. Um, but fair play to England, scored, scored the goals they needed. And obviously, I think at that point, you know, fans of England were getting very excited, weren't they? Yeah, and, and rightfully so, because obviously they just took apart any team in the quarterfinal stage of a major tournament. It's hard not to be excited. But I'm with you. I think the round of 16 games, it went to extra time, the Ukraine game. And not only that, players were dropping like flies in the game the week before. Yeah. And I think I said to a few people in the build-up to the quarters, I said, Ukraine are going to be gone within the first half an hour. Because they're playing against a decent England side. If they've not got the ball for 20 minutes, they are done. And that's that's how it proved. Like Every goal just seemed to take another 10% of energy out of them. And there's no surprise, you know. Even at 100%, even at five and all cylinders, England beat Ukraine. But as it was, with Ukraine having the exertions, 4-0 was probably the best result Ukraine could have hoped for. And then we go into Czech Republic, Denmark. Uh, Denmark going through there. And I think everyone probably across the world is just very happy to see Denmark go through there. And uh, you see quite a bit of emotion on some of the faces towards the end of that match as well. Yeah, I think there was a general consensus of everyone wanted Denmark to go far. Um, even teams that were potentially playing against them at some point in the in the tournament, I think everyone had a soft spot for Denmark, and rightfully so. Um, but yeah, decent game. Two pretty evenly matched sides. Um, Denmark a little bit more quality going forwards, and, and that's how it proved. And then we have Belgium-Italy, um, which was another good game, to be fair. Um, I think... I'm not too sure Italy had a game in the whole tournament that wasn't actually a decent game. Um, but again, I think the sort of professionalism for the Italy showed and maybe, you know, the shithousery. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. All for it. Um, 
And then you kind of look at Belgium and you say, you know, like you said earlier, they're the number one ranked side. For what that's worth, I'm not too sure. Because yeah, true. Good. Yeah. Um, but disappointing. I was, you know, I think the only player that really stood out for that Belgium team for me was maybe Thorgan Hazard. Um, everyone else, maybe they just crumbled under the pressure a little bit. Yeah, Hazard. Um, the other Hazard, I thought was really good that night. Mm. Must admit. Um, and that kind of came from nowhere, to be honest with you, because I hadn't really seen much from him prior to that. But yeah, you're right in terms of Italy's um, nous and know-how. That really came to the fore, and that's something we hadn't seen from them earlier in the tournament. They've yeah. kind of gone away from what we all know Italy to be, which is this defensive, horrible, you know, will-win-at-all-cost unit. And they went back to that in the latter stages of the tournament, and they combined it with a little bit of excitement, a little bit of quality, and as it proved, that was enough. But I think I seen somewhere the other day, in the last 20 minutes of that game, the ball was on the field for about four minutes in terms of like inaction because they were going down at every opportunity. They were booting the ball into Rosette. But when you've got the likes of Chiellini and Benucci, you get a lead, you're pretty difficult to stop. Yeah. I remember looking at the Belgian team as well and thinking, I think that whoever's midfield wins this, wins the team. <clears throat> um. And I think Italy's midfield uh, with Barella, I think looks a great player. Jorginho and I think Verratti. Um, it's a solid midfield. And, if, you know, yeah. if you can't get the ball, you're not going to be able to do anything with it. And I think that was kind of the conclusion to that game. And then you also had a Switzerland-Spain, another good game. Mm. But I think, like I said earlier, I think the, the more games played, Spain grew, grew in confidence. And I think, like you said earlier about Pedri, he started to come into the fore then, you know, he's, a, you know, only a young lad. I think he's, I'm right, you're saying he's 19, but you wouldn't have thought of the way he was playing in those games. He absolutely ran the show for Spain pretty much throughout the tournament. At that age, with those players around him, like the likes of Busquets, you look at him and you look at Thiago on the bench, let's yeah. be frank about it. And you'd say, you know, those two should be the ones carrying Spain forward, but it's not, it's this teenager admittedly from Barcelona. He's played a lot of football for Barcelona. He's not some unknown kid, but he was absolutely incredible throughout. Um, and listen, fair dues to Switzerland. Their final was the week before when they got past France, if we're going to look at it, frankly. Yeah, Spain, for the good of the tournament, get through um, and they make a better spectacle out of it. So going into the semis, uh, Spain versus Italy and England versus Denmark. Um, I think Touching on it, England versus Denmark, I think as soon as they won that Ukraine game, they knew they were going to be playing Denmark. The nation was getting excited, wasn't it? You know, all this the oh, all coming home nonsense was, <laughs> was ringing around. Um, but that game in particular, I actually thought both teams looked absolutely shattered. Again, I think the further the tournaments go on, you have to shake the team up. And fair play to Denmark, they give England a game. Um Obviously, it goes, that great game goes into extra time as well. But if I was going to be critical about England, maybe specifically Southgate, I just don't know why he didn't bring more subs on. We had five subs, the, the array of talent he's got. Um, I think one, once that game had finished, obviously England go through. Hmm. A lot of people were questioning whether they could actually win it at that point. Yeah, well, I think when you look at the run to the final that England had, it would be hard not to get excited and hard not to think, why can't we go and win it? Because 
realistically, once you get past what was a pretty average Germany side, you've got Ukraine and Denmark, who you'd expect to beat. You've only got one tough game, potentially, which could be the final. So, yeah, England did get excited. Um, I don't think Southgate is the ruthless attacking manager because I personally believe they should win that Denmark game a lot earlier than they do. Yeah. Let's just mention the Damsgaard free kick, which is, an, I mean, I'm all for criticising Jordan Pickford, but <laughs> I felt like the criticism was a little bit harsh. Maybe it goes in a little bit too centrally, but what a hit. Sometimes you just got to say that's a stunning strike, and it was. Um, but yeah, Denmark certainly looked tired, and I think they don't have the squad depth to start changing things like in England do. Yeah. You know, if you start going to the fifth Denmark sub, you're probably bringing on players with all due respect from the Danish league, which is an issue. Whereas England could and should be bringing on world-class players from the bench. And that probably proved as the game went on. Um, I don't think it's a penalty. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, England, listen, they, they dominated the game pretty much from the minute Denmark went in front. Because Denmark thought, right, 1-0, that'll do. Obviously, that's very difficult to do. Yeah. As it transpired, England probably deserves to get through. And then obviously the other semi was Spain versus Italy. Now I've got a good stat on this. Um, Spain had 70% possession in this game um, and made almost 1,000 passes throughout the match. Um, And I think the fact that they've not gone through, (laughs) even with those stats, tells you more about Italy than it does about Spain. 100%. And I think those stats you just mentioned was just Pedri on his own. (laughs) Um, No, yeah, it does. It says a lot more about Italy. And it's what I alluded to earlier in that they didn't have to be the best team to win the game. And that is absolutely massive. And it's Italy of old. Like, Italy back in the day, didn't matter how they played, they'd find a way. And they've not been all-conquering. That sounds like they, they beat Brazil every other week. They didn't. But the really good Italy sides were just tough to beat and they didn't care how the game was going. They'd find a way and they'd done that against Spain. And was that the counter-attack goal? Yeah. And they've gone from back to front. And that's just finding different ways of winning the game that you're not really in. Because they weren't really in that game for long periods, but they found a way with that counter-attack, which was stunning. And yeah, credit to them. Yeah. Do you think maybe from an England fan point of view, watching that Spain-Italy game, do you think they would have rather had played Spain than Italy because they'd have known that maybe there's a better chance of beating Spain? I'd probably say yes. I'd probably say there was a better chance of beating Spain. The only thing I would say to caveat that is that by that point, Spain were playing decent footy mm. and getting the ball, as you've just said, 70% possession, getting yeah. the ball off Spain would have been a hell of a lot harder than it was off Italy. Yeah. So it's a difficult one. But yeah, I probably if I was in if England point of view, I'd have probably would have said, yeah, I'd rather Spain just. And then obviously we know the final England Italy goes to penalties, um, and Italy become the champions. Um, mm-hmm. Just a couple of things I wanted to throw out here on Italy. Um, I, I think for, throughout the whole match, Italy have fully controlled the match. Mm-hmm. I think that was England's biggest problem. But I'm just looking at goals scored for Italy here. Um, Italy have actually won this tournament and their top goal scorers were both on two goals in Chiesa and Insignia, um, which I, I just think is mental that 
their top goal scorer has come up with two goals and they've won a tournament. Yeah, I'd have to agree. It's hard, it's hard not to because, you know, you look back at tournaments gone by, you're probably looking at either having the top goal scorer or certainly being close to it. So whether it's a, a credit to them as a team, potentially, or whether you look at it a different way and go, well, maybe they haven't got the flair and the attacking ability that we thought. But I must admit, if you'd have said to me, pick the Italian top goal scorer at the start of the tournament, and how many will he score in particular? I'd have struggled to have said any of them would have got five. I'd have probably said immobile, but I wouldn't have said he'd have got five. He might have got two or three anyway. So it's not much of a surprise either. And in that match, obviously, England start off with a flyer, Shaw. I mean, both fullbacks, I think, um, in Shaw and Kyle Walker. I mean, you say fullback, he played in more of a back three. Yeah. I thought they were both brilliant, which pains me to say, but they were both outstanding, uh, especially Luke Shaw. I thought he was brilliant. Took his goal, his goal brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Um, quite surprised by it early in that first 20 minutes um, because they seemed really open. And I don't know maybe if that's because they've obviously they lost Spinazzola to a, a really bad injury yeah. in, the, in, the, in the previous games. But they, England started off really well. But as, as the game progressed, I just felt Italy would, that professionalism, that, that, shithousery and all the dark yeah. arts and everything. I thought that would take over and inevitably it did, didn't it? It did, yeah. And you're right. I think the first 20 minutes was quite frantic. I think Harry Maguire, who actually had a decent game, I think in the first like 30 seconds, he belted one out of play for a corner for Italy. And the, the whole the whole first 15, 20 minutes was like that. It was a little bit all over the place. Obviously, the goal came and the place just erupted. Um, but you're dead right. Italy just just took over the game. And similar to what you said before with the midfields, I thought this would be a battle of midfields. Yeah. And I honestly, I just couldn't see Italy's midfield. Not only the fact they had an extra man in there, but also the quality. I just thought they would just dominate the game. And as it turned out, they changed things second half and they brought Insigne into like the front of the diamond playing centrally when Immobile came off. And they just absolutely run rings around England. Yeah. And eventually... That goal was coming, wasn't it? The equaliser was coming, and absolutely everyone could see it. And you mentioned Southgate before; he needs to be proactive for me because that goal's coming ten minutes before it's arrived, yeah. and he does nothing. He just waits and waits, and then they score. Yeah, and in a in a final, you can't do that. No, maybe going one 0 up so early on. It, yeah, it went against them really, didn't it? Because they had to try to kind of change their approach to the match. Very similar to the way Liverpool were against Spurs in the Champions League final a couple of years. Yeah, killed the game. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as we went 1-0 up, you know, the mm. game plan goes out the window and it changes up. Yeah. What, what I would say is I, I do feel that it maybe not only was it a battle in midfield, I think it was a battle of tactics. And I think Mancini, he just kept throwing subs on. He kept throwing subs on. He kept changing the game. He kept going for the game. Yeah. You know, Bernadeschi come on, mm-hmm. Malotti come on. He kept going with attackers, you know, and mm-hmm. it just felt like Southgate was hesitating so much. He brought Grealish on really late. You know, he yeah. Obviously, as we know, um, I mean, we'll talk about it now, obviously, the penalty takers. And I, I just felt bringing Rashford and bringing Sancho on was just criminal. Like, to, to, to bring them lads on, the, the legs aren't even warm. You know, they've been sat on that bench thinking about their, their penalties being taken. I just thought it was, you know, it's very easy for me to say this now, but I just thought it was a criminal act from him. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think not only for penalties, but I just want to say on Mancini before we go, I go on, not only were his subs 
really bold and impressive, but he was taking off some of like his star players. Like he pulled yeah. Pavella off because he thought it was right for the match. Yeah. Now that's a big call in the final, and he made it, and that's what Southgate wouldn't have done. Yeah. But also on the penalty takers, he brought Rashford and Sancho on when Italy had a corner. Like that is absolutely. I'm not a manager, but that is a cardinal sin. Had Italy have scored from that corner, Southgate would have been absolutely slaughtered. But anyway, as it turned out, got to penalties. And yeah, you know, it's hard not to say they weren't ready because they both missed. Um, and if I was in their shoes, I'd have liked to have kicked the ball around a little bit before taking probably the biggest penalty in my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, easy in hindsight. Hindsight's the best thing in the world. But yeah, he's made a mistake, hasn't he? Yeah. Obviously, as you say, obviously, early go on to, to to win the tournament. And I think you can't really begrudge it. I think they were the, the best team throughout the tournament. Um, I, I just want to kind of get sort of some fire questions in here of what you thought throughout the tournament. So, yeah. the match you uh, most enjoyed? France, Switzerland. Yeah, I'd say so as well. Um, who, who surprised you in terms of a player that you didn't know about um, probably Chiesa, if I'm honest. And that might be more on my behalf, not knowing about him, because I probably should. Yeah. But I knew about Damsgaard and I knew about Doku because Liverpool had been linked with him in the past. Yeah. So I kind of knew a little bit about what they were all about. Um, so I can't say them. But Chiesa hadn't really come across him. And yeah. I thought, in the final in particular, he was outstanding. I thought he, at one point, he looked like the only threat to England not winning that. Yeah. He was the one who just looked like he was going to make something happen out of nothing. He scored two incredible goals in the tournament. And he's the one player who probably looks like he's going to go to Juventus on a permanent, because I think he's on loan there now, bizarrely. Yeah. He's the one who really stood out to me. Yeah, I suppose kind of going on to that, who do you suspect gets a big move off the back of this Euros? The other two, Doku and Damsgaard. And... Mm. Um, what the situation is with Docker, I'm not quite sure. I know he's in France in a minute. I think he plays for Ren, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and he's been on Liverpool's radar for quite a while. Um, whether something happens is a different story. But the one who I think will definitely get a move is Damsgaard. Um, because he really came to the fore. And um, someone, some big club, will go for him. Yeah, 100%. And sort of from the tournament of, as, as a whole... Do you think having the tournament sort of scattered across Europe, do you think that, that was obviously, that wasn't planned, it was obviously to do with COVID and that's kind of what they had to do. But do you think that was kind of a good thing or was that a bit of a distraction, do you think? Personally, I didn't like it. No. I must admit, personally, I didn't like it. I think part of the beauty of a tournament and, you know, European finals um, is that, a lot of the same people and the fan bases congregate in one city and you make something out of that week, that two weeks, however long you're there. When your national team or your club team is going here, there and everywhere over the course of a fortnight, you can't do that. You know, and It's made even more difficult by the restrictions we're currently living in. But to expect a fan or a team for that matter to one minute be in Baku and the next minute be in Rome, is just nonsensical. Like... Moving forwards, I think Sethrin, UEFA president, has said didn't really work. We'll probably leave it, and I think he's probably right. Yeah, I think the uh, the Wales manager had quite a lot to say about it, didn't he? Because yeah, they were all over the shop Wales. Where then you look at England, you know, they played every game but one at Wembley. 
exactly on the face exactly. of it, it you know it's not very transparent and very fair is it no um also just want to get up the um the 11 of the tournament uh the official 11 that was given towards the end mm-hmm. of the tournament so in goal we have uh, donnarumma back four we have kyle walker benucci Maguire and Spinozola. Yeah. Um, in the midfield, we have Hoiberg, uh, Jorginho, and Pedri. And then in the front three, we have Chiesa, Lukaku, and Sterling. Do you think they've got any of them wrong? Or, you know, do you think they're all pretty agreeable? I'd say they're all pretty agreeable. I think Hoiberg might have kind of been shoehorned in, if I'm honest. I could have potentially picked a couple. Dam's guard, I've already mentioned a lot, my new favourite footballer by the sounds of it, but he could potentially have been in there into the Hoiberg. Um, because it doesn't necessarily matter the fact he's a defensive midfielder, this team aren't gonna play anyone, so it doesn't really matter. He just pick pick the best players who played, you know what I mean? Um other than that, I'd say Donovan Woman got player of the tournament, I believe. Um yeah. and rightfully so, because absolutely serious goalkeeper. Like I'm not surprised they won two penalty shootouts because he is a Goliath of a man. I think I think Pickford will probably look at it feeling a little hard done by only yeah. in terms of the Donnarumma was so incredible and obviously yeah. won the tournament. I think, you know, as much as I can't stand him, he, he did have a good tournament to be fair. Yeah, he made some good saves. I'd probably say Pogba as well. I think we've seen a different side to Pogba. Um, I've got quite a few United fans who obviously quite rightly frustrated that He's not performed like that in the United shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he did play quite well, but obviously didn't go far into the tournament. Yeah, they probably need to go a little bit deeper. I'd say certainly for France, whether that comes into the thinking, that's a different story. But, you know, you look at Hoiberg, they at least got to the quarter yeah. semi-finals, didn't they? And yeah. that's a different story. If Pogba gets that far and continues like he was, because I thought he was outstanding as well, that he probably gets in then. Yeah, exactly. And then obviously just finally, just wanted to reel off some players that, really impressed you um, throughout the tournament and some players that maybe you d- didn't expect, well, they didn't perform to the best of their abilities. Um, sort of players that I've got that didn't perform, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, we've already touched on it slightly, but we'll just reel them off. Yeah. We've got Mbappe. Yeah. Uh, De Bruyne, as I expected a little bit more from him. Okay. I've got the whole whole Turkey team. <laughs> and uh, finally, I've got Bruno Fernandes as well. And I know he didn't play a few of the games um, because he wasn't getting picked. Yeah. But even when he did play, he didn't really, you know, we didn't see what we'd seen at club team for him. Definitely. Um, miles off it, in fact, as I said, with Bruno, to be honest. Um, quite tongue in cheek, quite pointed, but maybe it's because he's not on penalties for Portugal. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I agree with all of them, to be honest with you. I've, I've got Mbappe down here. I thought, I, I mentioned earlier on, I had such high hopes for him and France. And it just never happened. Um, another one I'd throw in, probably a little bit potentially unfair, a lot of people might not agree, would be Harry Kane, because I thought, mm. certainly for the group stages, he never, never showed up at all. Yeah. Let's be frank about it, you know. And he's England's star man. And I know England go on to do well on the tournament. And I actually think he had quite a quiet final. Exactly. You mentioned the Champions League final earlier on, and he was non-existent in that. So there was talk earlier on in the tournament about his fitness. Like he absolutely, you know, tore apart a really poor, really disjointed Ukraine side. But either side of that, I'm not convinced about Kane's tournament. Yeah, and especially you touched on there, perfect point about the final. 
you know, when you want your captain to step up, yeah. that's when you need him, isn't it? Didn't really happen, did he? He took an outstanding penalty. But in terms of the game, he never really got a look in at all. Um, outside of that, there aren't many sort of standout names that really disappointed. Um, I think impressive-wise, um, Spin and Zola, the left-back, is probably another one who shone for me. Um, Mailer for Denmark, the other full-back, I thought he was outstanding as well throughout. Um, and other than that, just names we've kind of already picked up on. Um, obviously, you like the Dams guard at Denmark and Doku. Um, I also want to say Jorginho as well, because he was a different animal for Italy than he is for Chelsea. Yeah. I thought he suddenly has become a Ballon d'Or contender out of nowhere as well. <laughs> no, he does, yeah. I mean, it'd be, it'd be difficult to argue with it. If, it, if, it's, if it's not based on talent and it's based on honours, you struggle to argue with that one, don't you? Yeah, you do, you do. I mean, I could say Lionel Messi every day of the week because he's, a, <laughs> he's another level, but fair dues to Jorginho, like he threw his name in. Yeah, I think, as you've mentioned there, Doku, Pedri, um, I'd say Shaw, Walker, I'd even say John Stones, I thought John Stones was pretty good. Varela, yeah. Marlon, Dumfries, Dansgaard, Spinozola. Um, and then maybe one person we haven't mentioned, um, and you know, I know maybe Liverpool will be looking at him, Renato Sanchez, I think he looked oh. really good. Yeah, I wanted to mention him for Portugal earlier. It must have slipped my mind. If that's not a Genie Wine album reincarnated, I don't know what is. Because <laughs> how he keeps the ball in some situations and emerges, I'll never know. He was probably, from quite a disappointing Portugal tournament, he, he was the shining light. Yeah. He was outstanding. And it's bizarre to think, if you think back to how he was for Swansea, when there's that viral clip of him passing to an advertising hoarding, <laughs> that isn't the same person anymore. Like, he is a serious footballer. And if he does go on to get a move, like we touched upon with different people, someone's landing a very, very well-rounded, you know, comfortable sentiment fielder. Yeah, 100%. And then just to conclude, you know, how did you find the tournament? You know, did, did it sort of meet your expectations? Did it go above and beyond? And do you think you'll miss it? I won't miss it because club footy's back. <laughs> but um, you know what? I really enjoyed it. And I'm not the biggest international footballer lover in the world. Certainly friendlies, you know. I've always got into major tournaments because they're a different beast altogether. But I really enjoyed it. And how much of that, I wrote a couple of things down. One, supporters being back in stadiums plays a huge part in that. I mentioned the Hungary games earlier. I could have watched, it actually started before the Euros. I was watching the playoffs like Barnsley against Swansea and thinking this is the best match I've ever seen because there was 15,000 people in there and it just makes footy so much better. And hopefully we see that next month because it's such a big thing because um, that was a massive help to the Euro. So I really enjoyed it for that. But also, I really liked the mini car that brought the balls out. That was boss. <laughs> but more importantly, the refs and the officiating was so much better yeah. than what we've seen in the Premier League. You, you barely would have known VAR was involved. I can think of maybe two incidents in the whole tournament. Dejan Lovren elbow would have been one of them. That might be subjective and might think they might have got that wrong and the Sterling penalties probably the other. But um, other than that, I thought the refereeing was outstanding. And the amount of times, Bjorn Kuypers in particular in the final, someone would fall over and he'd be like, no, get up, we're playing on. And I love that. That's what it should be. And if the Premier League referees can adopt that, I'd be made up. Yeah, absolutely fantastic points. I literally couldn't agree more. And 
just before I let you go, mate, I just want to say a massive thank you for giving up your time and coming on. Really appreciate it. Not an issue at all. Really enjoyed it. Um, and it was nice to look back on the tournament um, and really have a good look at it because even though it only finished a week ago, um, my attention's been turned to club footy so much that it was nice to reflect and look back at what was a properly decent, decent competition. If you enjoyed that episode and want to keep notified for future episodes, please make sure you subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave us a five-star rating. You can now follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all at Go In The Match to keep updated for future episodes and updates on the podcast.